back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Got a lot to cover this week from Marjorie Taylor Greene in the United States to the comeuppance for the Proud Boys for their involvement in the January 6th coup to the actual successful coup that occurred in Myanmar this week. First, a quick check-in with the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, there have been increasing calls for his impeachment by the law faculty of the University of Sao Paulo. Uh, this is something like, you know, imagine if the law faculty of like Harvard called for the impeachment of President Trump. It's something like that. So all back in the United States, speaking of former President Trump, is his erstwhile ally, Marjorie Taylor Greene, now a congressional representative from Georgia. Uh, she's been making a lot of news in the last several weeks because she's been receiving some well-deserved scrutiny for her particular brand of crazy conspiracy QAnon type shit. Um, but a lot of the scrutiny that she's been receiving is about, you know, her conspiracy theories that aren't just unique to the 21st century phenomenon of QAnon, um, but to the foundations of that particular kind of conspiracy. She made headlines last week for claiming that the recent uh, spat of wildfires on the west coast of the United States were caused by a space laser, and not just a space laser, but a Jewish space laser, and not just a Jewish space laser, but a Rothschild Jewish space laser. Um, that's like straight up Protocols of the Elders of Zion type shit. Um, it's pretty disturbing to be coming out of the mouth of a sitting United States congressperson. Um, this in like on top of, you know, her other crazy beliefs, um, some of which verge on 9-11 trutherism, um, some of which uh, include, you know, potentially denying that certain school shootings occurred. Um, she has attempted to go on the congressional record to, you know, say that she does, in fact, believe that these things happened. Um, but the fact that she needs to specify this is an indicator of exactly, you know, how much she can be believed in these things, you know, and, 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 and the kind of political movements that she used in order to get herself into office. Um, she is holding a press conference tomorrow to try to redress some of these claims. Um, but this is after she has already been removed from several house committee positions, um, in votes that involved Republicans, uh, a serious rebuke by members of her party. And this is particularly interesting because Green has been sort of one of the torchbearers of a like virulent, extremely pro-Trump wing of the Republican Party. It'll be very interesting to see how her position in the party shakes out in the coming months and also for the duration of her congressional term until uh, 2022. Still in the United States, well, and Canada, we have um, more news about the ongoing aftermath of the January 6th coup. We're going to be talking about this for the rest of our lives. Just deal with it, I guess. Uh, the nation of Canada has announced that it is designating the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. Uh, the same designation that would apply to an organization like ISIL or Al-Qaeda. Uh, the Proud Boys, as you know, is the largest, most influential, most powerful fascist organization in the United States currently. Uh, originally founded by Gavin McGuinness, who spent most of his formative years in Ottawa, although he was born in the United Kingdom and currently resides in the United States. Uh, the Proud Boys played an important role in organizing and advocating for the January 6th coup, uh, although the organization as such did not advocate for it. Uh, they were a very effective street gang and also sort of uh, ideological platform for advancing um, misogyny, uh, a very 
nationalistic vision of the United States, uh, Western civilization. Um, they're a fascist organization. And the fact that they've been labeled as a f- terrorist group by the United States' biggest and most powerful neighbor, Canada, uh, is extremely telling. Uh, this was after a lot of advocacy and campaigning on the part of the New Democratic Party, uh, which is the left center party in Canada's uh, parliament currently. The Canadian government has said that they're not going to be like rounding up members of the Proud Boys and, you know, arresting them on terrorism charges, uh, but rather their continued involvement in the organization will face potential serious criminal charges along those lines. Um, They're also going to be seizing uh, any assets that the organization has in the country, although whether or not it has any remains to be seen. There isn't any concrete information about that currently. There's also obviously going to be increased scrutiny of the involvement of the Proud Boys in any of the, you know, recent rise of extremist activity and violent activity in Canada itself. And speaking of scrutiny of Proud Boy activity, we have uh, some interesting reports, uh, this one from Reuters, uh, that the current leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tardio, uh, has a history of collaborating with law enforcement. Um, he has a history of, like, uh, telling on people of working with law enforcement in order to get evidence to prosecute other people, um, what you might call a snitch. Uh, the, this is particularly interesting because he is currently in police custody. Uh, he was apprehended immediately upon arrival in Washington, D.C., uh, not on January 6th, but on the 4th or 5th, I'm, I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly, um, for his involvement in some previous cases of violence in the district. This fact, the fact that Tario is a police collaborator, has caused a big stir in Proud Boy circles, as you probably aren't surprised to know. Many people in various other parts of the organization now accuse him of being a collaborator or being a plant or, you know, being some undercover agent, some operative of the police. It's literally possible that he is in some capacity, at least, or at least that he's the sort of person who would be willing to trade information about um, his fellow Proud Boys uh, for, you know, a more lax sentence, uh, for the charges that he's, uh, he's being held for. He currently claims that he's not going to do any of that stuff, but you know, it's entirely possible. Uh, this, uh, riff within the Proud Boys has already caused a split, a, a schism within the organization. Uh, the four branches of the Proud Boys located in Indiana have said that they're splitting from the organization itself, from the national leadership, um, and that they're not going to affiliate with it at all, uh, until such a time as it no longer espouses the kind of politics that Tario is connected with. Now, in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, splittings, schisms, uh, mergers, this is exactly what happens when political organizations, you know, like like radical political organizations like the Proud Boys, or even like, you know, a socialist organization, are at the level of organization that they are. Um, these kinds of splits and divisions are normal, uh, as leaders and regional leaders contest their power, and especially as an organization is facing some of its first major obstacles in its attempts to self-organize and, you know, distribute its ideology. That's exactly what's happening to the Proud Boys now, but we're just going to have to see exactly how this plays out for them. And finally, to complete our roundup of right-wing activity in the United States, uh, there are reports that Kyle Rittenhouse has been accused of violating his bond. Uh, He has been seen 
uh, like just hanging out with other right wing people, going to known right wing bars, uh, giving people autographs, posing for pictures of people who are proud of his just wanton murder of two protesters in the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin earlier this year. Uh, the Kenosha County DA is seeking his rearrest and thinks that his bond needs to be posted at a much higher level um, because he very successfully made bond like like super easily by making a crowdfunding campaign for it the last time. Um, this is really disgusting. This kind of shit is not going to be stopping. Uh, Rittenhouse is becoming or has already become a kind of martyr for right wing politics in the United States. Um, there were even earlier uh, back in 2020. Um, some congresspersons in the United States who held him up as a sort of like national hero or, you know, as an example of a, you know, I'm just a, just a good guy defending, defending his home. Um, that kind of rhetoric is probably going to go by the wayside at least a little bit for a while in the wake of the coup. Um, but it's not going to go away forever. And lastly, there has been a coup earlier this week in Monday morning, their time in the country of Myanmar or Burma. Uh, the name of the country is sort of under contestation. The country calls itself Myanmar. The United States calls it Burma. Um, they mean the same thing. They're, they're just formal or informal versions. In any case, there was a coup in this country on Monday morning, their time. Uh, the military just invaded the parliamentary building and several other government offices and declared itself in power. Uh, and says that they're going to be in power at least for a year uh, under an emergency decree. This after spending the majority of the time since 1962 under military rule by the same military. There was uh, there were a few democratic transitions or attempts at democratic transition uh, in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and then a, a an actual successful one in 2011, uh, leading to the leadership of Aung San Suu Kyi, who is a Nobel Prize laureate, uh, primarily for her advocacy for democracy in Myanmar. She then became the country's effective prime minister. It's a different title, but effectively she's the prime minister in 2016 when democratic rule was really formally established. However, much like in uh, Chile, immediately after the Pinochet regime, the military maintained an extremely large role in society in, in Myanmar. Uh, they were allowed to appoint a lot of government ministers. Uh, they maintained a massive budget. You know, they were sort of immune from a lot of shit. Uh, so there's a lot of questions about exactly why they would hold this coup now, uh, given that the status quo is, you know, is pretty great for them. Um, the current situation in Myanmar is in flux uh, and uh, is very difficult to, to suss out from outside of the country, primarily because the military has shut down most means of communication including internet access and access to important communication apps that people use in that country, specifically Facebook and Facebook Messenger. Um, Aung San Suu Kyi and other leaders of her party are uh, either missing or officially under arrest. And we just don't know exactly what's going to happen now. Uh, it partly depends, it seems, on contestation within the military, which is one of uh, the possible explanations that you know people who are actually experts in Burmese politics suggest for the rationalization for this coup, that, that it might be an internal military matter as opposed to having something to do with uh, representative democracy per se. Um, this is sort of difficult to determine. Um, that perspective is from AP, it's from Associated Press. Um, we're going to see exactly what this means uh, over the next year of this emergency rule. Uh, I hate to tell it to you, but uh, year-long emergency rules usually don't last just a year. 
Usually they are extended or just sort of bleed into future political systems uh, in the way that that, you know, the military's rule in the 20th century bled into this quasi democracy uh, that has so recently been uh, ended in Myanmar. The other thing to note here is that it remains to be seen exactly how this is going to affect the ongoing genocide of the Rohingya people uh, in uh, Burma and in uh, neighboring Pakistan. And this week's See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent fascists and right-wing figures in world history, brings us to Greece and a person named Ionas Metaxas. Uh, Ionas Metaxas was a Greek politician throughout the 19th and early 20th century. Um, he was the prime minister of Greece in 1936, uh, but then staged a coup against himself, uh, a, a self-coup. Uh, this is the sort of thing that it's seeming like Donald Trump was attempting to do in uh, January 6th. You know, he was attempting to support a coup against the government that he led. Uh, Metaxas's self-coup uh, installed a government that in Greece is called the August 4th regime, the 4th of August regime, uh, which was supported by then King George II, the King of Greece. Um, the 4th of August regime banned parties, uh, including the party that Metaxas himself belonged to. Uh, and also banned most forms of political dissent and political organizing, but also implemented major social reforms and welfare systems uh, to those who were, you know, nationalistic, like nationalist members of the Greek people, uh, as the government defined it, of course. Um, all of which is to say that although Metexas was not officially a fascist, he was certainly fascistic. Um, he was a nationalist, but also believed that the people who belonged in the nation should be provided for and should you know, have, have have the livelihood that he thought people deserved. Uh, he liked a certain kind of political organizing, but explicitly only in the interests of the regime. Uh, although the non-existence of political parties differentiates it from the Italian fascist or um, the German fascist examples. Uh, Metaxas's fate was ultimately sealed uh, when Mussolini decided that uh, Greece should uh, roll over and let Italy use a bunch of military fortifications um, this was in 1941. Metaxas said no, uh, resulting in a war between Italy and Greece, uh, which Italy was not winning, uh, which required German intervention and the German invasion of Greece and occupation of Greece in 1941, which made Greece into a battlefield uh, in World War II, where, whereas Metaxas had previously remained neutral. Uh, Metaxas did not see any of this. Uh, he died uh, January 29th. Uh, in 1941, whereas the German invasion happened later in the summer, uh, he, he died January 29th of a throat infection, uh, 1941. So, Jonas Metaxas, we'll see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm still Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics, and I will talk to you next week. 